continue our sermon series in 1 John. If you'll open up to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be printed on the screen behind me. Also, in our church app, there is a sermon listening guide. And if you uh, pull that up, it will have the scripture printed at the top and also outlined. It will help you follow along in the sermon. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. A beach near Cornwall, Great Britain, is unlike any other stretch of coast in the world. And it's not because of its breakers or because of its sand, but because of what washes up almost daily on shore. And that is thousands of little toy Lego pieces. And that's because back in 1997, there was a container ship uh, that was transporting cargo and it got hit with a massive wave and 62 containers plunged into the ocean. One of those containers contained 4.8 million Lego pieces that were on their way to New York. And oceanographers have studied this phenomenon. They call it the Lego story on the shores of Cornwall, Great Britain. And one oceanographer said this, as he's been a part of studying how this happened and how these Legos all made it to the same shore through the tides and all of that. The most profound lesson I've learned from the Lego story is that things that go to the bottom of the ocean don't always stay there. Even when inside a steel container, sunken items don't stay sunken. What a vivid picture of sin, of sin in our lives that daily bubbles up to the surface. Sometimes it bubbles up and catches us by surprise, sometimes not. But the question becomes, when you're faced with the reality of sin constantly bubbling up in front of you, how do you respond to your sin? How do you respond to it? We're going to look at responding in two different ways. We're going to look at responding to sin in the dark, 
And we're gonna look at responding to sin in the light. So let's start with responding to sin in the dark. What is the darkened response to sin? There's clues that emerge in this first chapter of 1 John, but they also emerge throughout the letter that tell us that there, there was a group of people in this early church who had broken away from the church. And they had started their own fellowship that was formed around some false beliefs that did not line up with the character of God or with the gospel. You say, how do we know that? Where do we see a clue to that? Look at verse five. This is the message we have heard from him from Christ and proclaim to you that God is light. This is getting at the character of God. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, which is what this group was saying, they had broken off from the church. They said, but we have fellowship with God. While we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, these false beliefs are going to surface throughout the letter but we see one of these false beliefs surface here in verse 8 and verse 10. Verse 8, if we say, again, John is repeating what the claims are of most likely this group that has broken off. If we say we have no sin, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, Apparently, these people were claiming that they no longer sinned. Now, they weren't denying the sinful nature in the human heart. They were just claiming that they had received some sort of special anointing that brought them to a place where they no longer sinned in their life. Sinless perfectionism, that would be the phrase that would capture this false belief or this false doctrine, on the surface, it seems very godly. Doesn't seem like heresy at all, right? Jesus came to die for our sins. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help us overcome our sins and to live righteously and obediently. So on the surface, this belief of sinless perfectionism Seems like it exists in the light, but what John is saying here is this is utter darkness. This is a dark, dangerous doctrine. There's a, a much repeated, possibly untrue story of the 19th century pastor and preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He was at a conference. And there was someone up front teaching and preaching. And he was preaching on perfectionism, that you can and you should arrive at a place where you no longer sin. And he was actually proclaiming that he had arrived at that place, that he had gotten to a place where he no longer sinned. And Charles Spurgeon didn't confront him right away, but the next day he took a pitcher of milk and poured it over his head. And the man responded, this man who claimed to be perfectionist responded with the same rage and the same anger that any sinner would respond. Now, the irony of that story, whether it's true or not, the irony of that story is that a sinful action 
pouring milk on someone's head, was used to show that this person who claimed to be a perfect person was sinful, and the irony goes on. You and I, the hearers of that story, go, ha, exactly. No such thing as sinless perfection, right? So the hearers of the story, we respond with this smugness and this pride of how in the world could you ever think that you don't sin? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Who would ever believe such a thing, right? So that story just encapsulates pride all the way around the circle and of how sinful and prideful we are. While you may affirm with your lips that the doctrine of sinless perfection is wrong, is false, and is heresy, you don't deny that it's false by the way you live your life. Every time you defend yourself when you are accused of wrongdoing, you are functionally claiming to not sin. Every time you make an excuse for your sinful action, you are claiming to not have sin. Every time that you point the finger at someone and you blame someone else for your sin, you are claiming to have no sin. Every time that you hide and you pretend that you have no sin, you are claiming to have no sin. So while we might intellectually affirm the doctrine of sinless perfection as false and heretical and wrong, we don't deny it by the way that we live our lives. John says that this is walking in darkness. This is darkness. Now, what's the result? What's the result of walking in darkness, of hiding from your sin, of defending yourself, of blaming others, of making excuses? What's the result of this darkened response to sin? First, we deceive ourselves. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We lie to ourselves. We convince ourselves or try to convince ourselves we don't have a problem. We try to convince ourselves that we really don't have that sin problem. Right? We deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. Second result of the darkened response to sin, we make God to be a liar. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word or truth is not in us. Functionally, we accuse God of lying. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. But when we defend ourselves, when we make excuses, when we shift blame, when we hide, we accuse God of lying because we say we're not sinning. The third result of this darkened response to sin is broken fellowship with God and with one another. Verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. What John is saying there is God is light, right? God is light, that's his character. 
he doesn't exist and he can't exist in, in darkness, have fellowship with darkness. And so when we claim to have fellowship with him, but we walk in the darkness, we lie. The, the fellowship, it's a broken fellowship, but not only with God, but with one another. Verse seven, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Right now, the opposite of that is true. Right? If we walk in the darkness, we don't have fellowship with one another. Now, this is so counterintuitive. This is so counterintuitive to how our human hearts work when we speak of fellowship with one another. Because we would say the way to have fellowship with one another is to put your best foot forward and hide your junk. Right? Put the best foot forward. Put the best possible version of yourself forward because that's what's going to draw people to you and you to them, and we hide our junk. It's kind of like the, uh, someone who has, uh, someone's coming to visit the house or coming over, and, and so you go in your bedroom, and your bedroom's a mess, and you don't want somebody to see that, so you just stuff everything in the closet and shut the door, and your friend, so your friend can come over, and you can say, see, look how clean my room is. Right? We There's this putting the best foot forward in hiding the junk that we think produces this close fellowship. And what John says here is it's just the opposite. That that, right, hiding is walking in the darkness and that actually breaks fellowship, not only with God, but with one another functionally. This darkened response to sin is beautifully illustrated by Hans Christian Andersen's little short story called The Emperor's New Clothes. He tells the story. There's this emperor who loved his clothes. He loved wearing different coats and different outfits every day. He spent tons of money on his new clothes. He would show them off to people. He loved his clothes. And then one day, these two swindlers came to town. And they came to the emperor and they said, emperor, and they, they posed as weavers of clothing. They said, we can make you the most magnificent clothes, beautiful clothing. But our clothes also do another thing. Our clothes that we make become invisible to those who are unfit for their position or those who are fools, who are not wise. And so the emperor thought, wow, this would be great. When I put these new clothes on, I will be able to tell who's not fit for their position in my empire, and I'll be able to tell who are fools. So he gave these swindlers a large sum of money and said, make me the clothes. So the, the, the swindlers set up their looms and pretended to weave clothes on the looms, even though there was nothing on them. So the emperor, at some point, got curious, wanted to see how the, uh, these men were coming along, the weavers were coming along, but he was a little bit scared because he remembered that those who are not wise and those who aren't fit for their position won't be able to see the clothes. And so he wondered, and he was scared, am I going to be able to see the clothes? So he said, I'll, I'll send my minister, my minister who is so wise and my minister, who is absolutely the, the best minister there is, like certainly he'll be able to see the clothes and then tell me what they look like. So he sends his minister, and the minister shows up. And he can't see anything. 
He's looking at the looms and these weavers that are weaving it. He can't see anything, and he thinks to himself, there's nothing here. But then the, the weavers go, can't you see? Isn't this beautiful? Look at the magnificent colors and the magnificent pattern. And the minister thinks, oh my goodness, am I a fool? Am I a bad minister? Am I unfit for my position? No, no, I will never let anybody know that. So he said, yes, look at those clothes. They're magnificent. They're beautiful. And he goes back to the emperor and he says, they are just gorgeous, the clothes that they're making for you. Emperor's happy. And then he says, he sends another trusted official. And the, the next trusted official comes to the place where the looms are and these weavers. And, and he looks and he has the same experience as the minister. He's like, there's nothing on these looms. I can't see anything. And then the weavers say, now look at this fabric. Isn't it just gorgeous, the pattern, this fabric, and the colors? And the, the trusted official says, man, am I a fool? Am I unfit for my position? Well, I don't want anybody to ever know that. So yes, the most beautiful clothes I've ever seen. He goes back and he tells the emperor. So then the emperor himself goes to check on the status of his clothes that these weavers are making. And he shows up. And he looks, and he sees nothing. And he thinks, there's nothing there. And then the weavers say, look at the beauty and the colors and the pattern. And the emperor begins to think, maybe I'm a fool. And maybe I'm unfit for my position. Oh, no, I can never let anybody know that that's the case. So he said, yes, these clothes are absolutely beautiful. And so the weavers say, well, it's time for you to be paraded through town with these new clothes. And, he's, and they say, so go ahead and take yours off and we will put on these magnificent clothes. And he does so and they, they pretend to take these clothes off the loom that aren't there and they pretend to put these clothes on the emperor and they start him on his parade. And the, town, and, and the people in the empire all had heard about the, the peculiar power of these clothes. And so they all couldn't wait to see which neighbor was a fool. And so this emperor starts parading through town. And they all go, what beautiful clothes this emperor has on. They're just beautiful. What pattern. And look at the long train behind him. It's just amazing. And then this little child says, he doesn't have anything on. And one of the adults says to another adult, did you hear what that child said? He doesn't have anything on. And, and it went around. And finally, the whole empire that was in the windows and along the streets, all these people finally agreed and said, he doesn't have anything on. And the emperor was embarrassed and started to think, they may be right. But then he thought, this procession must go on. And so he kept walking more proudly than ever. That's a picture of what it looks like to hide and to defend and to make excuses and to point the finger at people, to hide from our sin. We're all spiritually naked and yet unwilling to admit it. Unwilling to admit our spiritual nakedness. And so we lie to God, we lie to one another, we hide, we pretend, we put up this veneer, 
That's the darkened response to sin. Now, what's the enlightened response to sin? What does it look like to respond to your sin in the light? Well, verse 5 says that God is light. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Verse 9, if we confess our sins. The enlightened response to sin is honesty, transparency, confession, acknowledgement. That's the enlightened response to sin, not defending, not making excuses, not pointing the finger, not hiding, but honest, transparent confession. And then what's the result of this enlightened response to sin? What's the result of bringing our sin into the light transparently and honestly? Well, John lays out three results here. The first is forgiveness. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. The result of transparency and confession is born out of the character of God. Right? Notice that's the first move here by John as he goes to the character of God. God is faithful, which means he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And he has said throughout the scriptures he's going to forgive his people's sin. Second, he's just. That word is righteous, meaning he's righteous. When he forgives your sin, he's acting righteously. He's acting rightly. Why? Well, when God forgives your sin, he cancels the debt of your sin and no longer holds your sins against you. If you were in debt to a bank and the bank canceled your debt, that doesn't mean that they just sweep it away, that they forget about it, that they ignore it. No, when they cancel your debt, it means that the bank pays your debt out of their own pockets. And once they do that, it would be unjust, it would not be right for them to come back to you and demand payment because it's been paid off. And so the same way with God. When God forgives you, he's acting justly because Jesus Christ paid the debt of your sin in full, past, present, and future, completely paid off. It would be unjust for God to then come and hold your sin against you. When you bring your sin into the light, confess it. God forgives your sin because it's forgiven in Christ. The second result of transparency, honesty, and confession is cleansing. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what does it mean to be cleansed? And how is this distinct from forgiveness? Well, notice it says cleansed from all unrighteousness. When God forgives you, he cancels the debt of your sin 
When God cleanses you, he removes your sin. And, and this is beautifully illustrated in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. On that day, the priest would come and place his hands on the head of a goat, signifying the transfer of sin from the people to this goat. And then the goat would be sacrificed, right? His blood, the goat's blood would be shed to symbolically pay the debt of the people's sin. And then the priest would come put his hands on a second goat, on the head of a second goat, again, symbolically signifying the transfer of sin from the people to the goat, and that second goat would be sent off into the wilderness, signifying that the sin had been removed. You say, why is this important? Because you may fully believe and may fully understand that God no longer holds your sin against you, that he has canceled the debt, and yet you still hold on to the shame and the guilt. We have trouble letting go right, of the wrong we've done and getting over it. And the beauty of forgiveness and cleansing is that God has paid the debt. He'll never hold that sin against you again, but he also removes it from you and removes your guilt and removes your shame. He forgives and cleanses. And what do we do when we're not able to let go of the wrong we've done? There's a, a number of responses. But a lot of the time, we just have to defend ourselves and say, well, I, I really didn't do it, or make excuses or shift blame or hide from it, right? Because we don't like the shame and the guilt that we're sitting on. And all of that hiding never gets rid of it. It only makes it worse. God cleanses you. He takes it away through the work of Christ. Third result of transparency, honesty, and confession when it comes to sin. Forgiveness, cleansing, and then third, defense. Verses one and two of chapter two. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus defends us. When it says he's the propitiation for our sins, he is the, the wrath-removing sacrifice. That he has covered you and spilled his blood that God's wrath would be satisfied through the blood of Christ so that you could be set free. Judgment was born by Christ. Christ, the righteous one, took your unrighteousness, paid the debt of your sin, covered you, absorbed the wrath of God, and then covered you and covers you with his righteousness. And that work he is constantly advocating for you with the Father, pleading your case, interceding for you, defending you. That's what Christ is doing right now. That's his work for you. He completely covers you. Imagine a child 
whose room is an absolute mess. There are dirty clothes all over the floor. There are empty bags of chips stuffed everywhere on the floor. There are empty candy wrappers. There are empty cans of soda. There are game boards and game pieces strewn everywhere on the floor. There are action figures and figurines stuffed in and underneath clothes. It is an absolute royal mess. And so mom and dad say, son or daughter, you need to clean your room up by this afternoon. So that child wants to get out and play quickly with his friends. It's late morning when the parents say that. So he goes into his room and he takes all the stuff on the floor and he stuffs it under his bed. Everything gets stuffed under his bed. Floor's immaculately clean, everything's stuffed under his bed. He runs outside and goes to play with his friends. Come back, comes back in mid-afternoon. Parents say, did you clean your room? He says, yes, come see. He walks them into the room, he stands in front of his bed and he says, look. And they say, wow, it looks amazing. Can we just, we're just gonna get down on our knee and look around a little bit. He goes, no, 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 look, it's clean. And so they start getting down on their knees to kind of look around. He goes, no, 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 no. And they get down and they look under the bed and they go, wow, it's completely clean. And he goes, huh? And he gets down, he looks under the bed. There's nothing under there. Because little did he know that while he went out to play, his older brother came in and cleaned everything up from under his bed. He hung the clothes up. He threw all the trash away. Your older brother, Jesus Christ, has completely cleaned up the mess of your sin. So stop hiding. Stop defending yourself. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming others. Stop trying to cover it. Because Jesus Christ has covered it for you and not only covered it, but removed it and clothed you with his righteousness. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess that we walk in the darkness, but we do so claiming that we're walking in the light by hiding and making excuses and defending ourselves and blaming others for our sin. We, we claim to be walking in the light because we stuff it all underneath the bed. Yet, Father, we hear loud and clear that that is darkness. And that walking in the light is bringing the mess of our sin into the light and being reminded that you have completely paid the debt of our sin through your son, Jesus Christ, and not only forgiven us, but cleansed us. You've removed it from us. 
Father, would you help us to believe that and to live joyfully out of that? And would you help us now as we sing to you to sing as those who have been forgiven and cleansed and to sing as those who are being advocated for moment by moment by your son Jesus at your right hand. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.